to not sit in a state of woe is me and and oh you know I'm such a victim of this but rather accept okay this has happened now what do I do that can positively shift this situation for the better and even if it is a one percent change one day you know it's going to compound eventually. Hi guys and welcome back to the Rage Active podcast again. It's been so wonderful to see everyone enjoying the recent episodes, albeit slightly delayed, which we'll get stuck into in today's episode, but make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. So today I am coming to you with quite a personal solo episode. If you do follow me on social media or Instagram specifically, you may have seen that I have had some quite serious personal health issues. And so many of you have asked what actually happened. I did give a bit of an overview on my IG stories, but not a lot of detail because actually the diagnosis is quite unusual and quite complicated to explain. So I thought I would do a episode and share a bit of my journey, what actually happened, both of being unwell in hospital and parts of the recovery, which I am currently still in at the moment. So I do also apologize. Like I said, I am still recovering. So my voice is not quite there. My diaphragm is quite weak. And so it's it's just not there to support my breath at the moment. So if I do start to shake in the voice, just know that that's my breath. I'm not nervous or anything, but that's sort of what happens when you, you, you lose uh, control of, of that that muscle, which I'm still trying to strengthen at the moment. So apologies in advance for that, guys. But in this episode, you are going to learn what actually happened to me, why I was in ICU, why I have lost so much weight in such a short amount of time, and why my recovery has been slow and painful. And we'll also get into my personal philosophy around body, mind, and healing as well. And what I've learned so far through this process of being unwell, it is by far the most unwell I have ever been in my life. I've never experienced anything like this before. And I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm generally a very healthy person. And so I, I will get stuck into all the philosophy around, you know, sort of why it happened and, and all that kind of stuff. So to give you a bit of context to the people who haven't actually heard or seen what happened, or you don't follow me on Instagram, you don't really know what's going on. I went into the emergency department twice. This is a bit of a summary. And then on the third time to emergency, I was admitted into ICU. And I was in ICU for about three days before I was moved into a COVID ISO ward for about three days. And then from there, moved into the normal ward for about another two days before I was discharged from hospital. The week prior to going into hospital, for the first time. I was unwell with abdominal pains. They weren't normal. They were quite excruciating. I did see my GP the day before my first emergency visit and the recovery, I am still in recovery and it's, you know, it's been quite a slow process to be honest, but there's quite a few things that have happened. So that that's a bit of the summarized version of events. It In total, it's been about six weeks from when I started to feel unwell to hospital to recovery. So I think the question that everybody has, I mean, I got so many DMs about this specifically, about what actually happened. So what was my diagnosis? And in the end, my diagnosis is very unusual. It's long and it's complicated to to explain. And so that's why 
I couldn't really do it via message. There were so many people that messaged me and to avoid having to write an essay to every single person who messaged me individually, I decided to do this podcast episode to explain it properly because there has, there is actually several parts to it in actual fact. So although I was not presenting with any COVID symptoms at all, that's not why I originally went to my GP in the first instance. And then I also went to the emergency department three times after that. It is actually the COVID virus that started this whole thing. So this is my diagnosis by the doctors at the hospital. This is what they gave me. And it's it's complicated. So COVID triggered a condition that is called, this is the acronym for this condition, it's called SIADH. And the full name of this condition is called syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, which essentially means that there is a hormone that regulates the level of sodium in your blood. And what happened to me was that my body was retaining too much water in my blood and therefore was diluting the sodium in my blood. The healthy range of sodium in a normal person is between 135 to 145. And when I was admitted to the emergency department for the third time, I went straight to ICU because my sodium was so dangerously low at 109. Okay, so this is the this is the first condition. The SIADH also then triggered a bowel and digestive imbalance, which means that any food that I was eating, which I wasn't eating much at that point because my abdominal pains were so strong, was not getting processed properly through the body. So in summary, I really had three conditions at the same time. I had COVID, even though I am asymptomatic to the virus, which means that I don't actually experience any of the usual COVID symptoms. I wasn't presenting with anything flu-like. I'd never had anything like that. And then I had this low sodium condition. And then I also had this digestive condition. So there were three things going on in my body at the same time. So while I was in hospital, what the doctors were trying to do was correct both the sodium levels, which was actually the primary thing they had to correct because it was so dangerous to be that low. And then my digestive system as well. So I had both the endocrinology team and the general surgery team looking after me for both of those conditions. And then COVID just sort of like bubbling on in the background, not doing anything, just kind of sparking this trail of destruction really. So why was I in ICU? When your sodium is so dangerously low, like mine was, you have to be monitored to make sure that your bloods aren't losing more sodium. So in ICU, the aim was actually to bring my sodium levels up to a reasonable level, but they had to do this very slowly because it can also be very dangerous to bring up your sodium levels too quickly. So for the first three days of hospital, I was in ICU and I was on liquids via my IV drip. So I wasn't actually ingesting anything into my body for those first three days, literally just lying in that ICU bed uh, and having my blood test done every four hours to monitor my sodium levels. And then once I was at a safer sodium level, I was moved into a COVID ISO ward because I was still COVID positive at that time, even though I didn't have any COVID symptoms. And at this point, I was still on minimal liquids. So I was allowed to actually consume 500 mils of water on one day, and then they increased it to 750 the next and then 12.50 the next. And there were a couple of days there where I was on clear liquids only in terms of in consuming and ingesting liquids. I was only allowed to have, you know, sort of water or 
very like not not food no no food just just liquids and I was only really able to drink clear liquids so for a, a lot of the time I actually was on liquids only in the hospital why have I lost so much weight in such a short amount of time so I did actually lose a total of 7 to 8 kilos which is very it's a lot of weight which you know I'm quite lean anyway so prior to all this happening I'm I'm a lean person anyway I don't carry a lot of fat on me. So for me, it's a lot. And most of that seven to eight kilos was muscle, mostly from my legs and glutes. Because I hadn't really been eating properly from when I first started getting the abdominal pain. So this was even before I went into hospital. Then when I was in there, I'd say the majority of the time I was on liquids only. Plus, I also had the bowel and digestive imbalance, which was making it hard to consume anything anyway because things weren't getting processed through the body. I just wasn't eating. So that's why I lost so much weight. My body just went straight for the muscle because when you don't have any food or energy going into your body for that time, it is going to go for any source of energy that it can to keep the body running. And so it makes sense that it went straight for obviously the, the greatest muscle mass, which is all in my legs and glutes. So I, th- I think at that point when I was in hospital, I hadn't eaten a proper meal for even about two or three weeks at that point. And I think that was halfway through the hospital stay. I think I'd lost probably about four, four or five. And then it's been, a, it had been a slow um, sort of decline in weight even through the start of the recovery. So why has my recovery been so slow and painful? When I was discharged, I was actually, I know I had been in hospital for eight days. I'd pretty much been lying on my back for the whole time. And I also had a catheter in the whole time. Now, if anyone has had a catheter in, it is the most uncomfortable thing ever. It's basically a tube where you don't go to the toilet, you just pee through this tube, right? And it is not normal. You're not supposed to have that. So in recovery, I was very weak. I'd lost so much weight. And so the first thing that I really needed to focus on was bringing my digestive system back because without that functioning properly, I wouldn't really be able to bring my food intake up because it was, you know, your body needs to be able to sustain the food that you're intaking and and process that properly through the body. So that was the first thing I needed to do when I was discharged. And so it was really a case, that first week was really a case of eating really bland liquid foods like soup and protein supplements to begin with because I hadn't eaten properly for so long. My stomach had shrunken massively and it did take a good week at least to get a little bit of appetite back. So, you know, in that first week I still, although I was eating which was better than not eating, like I was in hospital, was like just on on liquids, it still was a struggle even to get a little, like just a little bit of calories in me. And so I was still losing weight in that first week of recovery. By week two out of hospital, I could start to introduce some solids and just make sure that my digestive system could keep up with processing and moving everything as it's supposed to. The The second thing that I needed to keep an eye on was my sodium levels because when I was discharged, I had my levels up to 131, which is almost healthy. And my doctors were pretty comfortable with me being discharged at that because they sort of were quite confident that they would go up from there. But I still had a few follow-up blood tests to make sure that everything was 
moving upwards. And also I had to make sure that I was taking potassium supplements as well so that that was balanced. I mean, in hospital, that was all given to me through an IV drip. So I still had to make sure that I had those minerals for my body to be functioning properly. Now, the back of my legs have and still been a bit numb and sore from both lying down, but I think more so from the catheter being in there the whole time. So right now, you know, I'm in week three of recovery. My legs are still sore. I have constant pain through the back of my legs. It's a weird combination of it being numb and sore at the same time. I just don't have the normal feeling that you would if you never had a catheter in. And it's a, it's a re- really weird, distorted feeling. But it's also been a constant thing that I've had to manage, you know, with the pain and also to make sure that I keep up with my movement to get that proper blood circulation and to get those areas moving so that I can start to build up my strength again. So that's something that I'm still dealing with at the moment. And uh, this part has been very, very slow. You know, uh, I had my catheter taken out three weeks, almost three weeks ago. So it's still causing pain. So at some point, I'm, I'm sure that it will alleviate to some degree, but it's, again, it's a slow process. So in terms of my recovery, my approach to healing and recovery and life in general, I mean, I don't feel like you need to be going through anything as drastic or dramatic as what I have to take this approach to life. But overall, I feel like I I decided to take a positive approach to my recovery and healing and meaning that my mental focus was always on this has happened, so what can I do to make it better rather than going into a a victim spiral of why did this happen to me, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, of course, there's an element of that in in terms of reviewing, you know, sort of an objective review of, of what's going on. But just in terms of my mental state, I very much decided that I would need to stay positive in my approach to my healing. So that's very much the way that I've approached it and also to focus on three areas of healing. So so I've focused on the physical, the emotional and the mental health parts. I'll take you through what I've done for each of those areas uh, during my recovery. So for the physical part, physically the obvious conditions I had to manage, you know, but beyond that because I have lost so much muscle and strength. I pretty much had to start moving as soon as I got home, even though it was painful. I, you know, I just started with some foam rolling and hot baths for the first week. I mean, the pain was so excruciating that I, and I had pain meds, but the thing is those strong pain meds have side effects that affect the other parts of my recovery that I needed to have going. So I really wanted to get off those pain meds as quickly as possible. I think by the third day of being home, I was off all pain meds and just had to kind of grit through it. So I tried to use a lot more natural ways of alleviating the pain, like foam rolling, massage. I would take three hot baths a day just to get some circulation through the back of my legs, you know, and making sure that there was some movement. By the second week, I started to add some stretching in as well. And towards the end of that second week of my recovery at home, I could start to do some sort of light Pilates movements. And by sort of day 14, I felt strong enough to add some resistance and some weights to my workouts as well. And so, initially I couldn't really move two days in a row. It was like doing a workout and then I'd have to have a rest because I was just so sore 
and pain in pain. So I sort of built that up to a point where now I'm able to do at least some sort of movement every day and not be in too much pain. Now I'm in week three of recovery at home. My aim is from here is to continue build up that resistance and the weight to my movement. And I have to do this to build my muscles back. So it's, it is about increasing it slowly every day without overdoing it. So I can actually move every day. You know, I don't want to overdo it and, and fatigue my muscles too much. So by the end of this week, I, I really should be able to do it. My aim is to be able to hit the gym for the first time in six weeks and it will be a light workout, but it will be a weighted workout just to hit that posterior chain. In terms of my nutrition, this has also been a very, very gradual and slow moving part of my recovery. And I only recently hit my maintenance calories for the first time a few days ago, just having to wait for my digestive system to be able to cope firstly with normal function, but then also gaining my appetite back has been very slow as well. So it's, you know, the first two weeks of recovery have been difficult and challenging. Um, and, and definitely the physical part has been, you know, quite, quite challenging. So from here, I do have to increase my calories further to build my muscle back. I actually need to be in a calorie surplus for this to happen. Otherwise I will just maintain the weight that I'm currently at, which is still seven kilos lighter than I was before I went into hospital. So surplus calories means that I need to be eating more than the calories that it takes to maintain my body. So I'll be increasing calories slowly through this next week, hopefully, but I do suspect that the whole strength and muscle building phase for me will take quite some time. My prediction at this point is probably at least about two months to hit maybe five kilos of muscle. I mean, I do feel like muscle memory is going to play a big part of it and I don't think that that will take long, but to actually gain that muscle back, I mean, it took me a long time to build in the first place and to lose it all in two weeks, uh, you know, is is a lot. And so to gain it back, it's it's probably going to be a little slower than perhaps I would like, but I've just got to listen to my body and work with my body. So the emotional part of my healing, this part is really important. And I think it's something that's overlooked. My belief is that if you are carrying any kind of negative emotions or lower vibrational emotions, it can really hamper your recovery. And I think for me, it's been about letting go of of those lower vibrational emotions like resentment, guilt, those heavier kind of emotions. And that does come out in an emotional release, but it also comes from looking at things from your past that you might be holding on to. So for me, it's almost been a bit of a crash course in releasing past emotional trauma that, you know, is stored in your body somewhere, but you, you've been holding on to. And we all have childhood traumas that we have to heal to varying degrees and obviously different for everyone. And for me, I mean, it's not like I, I feel like I've been very aware of what mine are, but I think the letting go portion of it and letting go of some of those emotions has been very helpful. So I decided to let those things go. And, you know, when it happens, you you know that it happens because your body and your mind feel so much lighter and clearer. And so for me, that happened in the first week of recovery at home when I, I really couldn't do much physically. I was more focusing on those emotional release points to help with my recovery. The the mental part of this, now I think this is very important 
as well, the, the mental patterns that you do can also become so ingrained that they are natural to you. And that's good if they're really positive, but when you are unwell, it, it sort of gives you a chance to step back and look at them objectively and decide whether they are useful for you moving forward or if you do need to change them. So for me, I did ask myself the question, what have I been thinking that may have caused conditions like this, this state of being unwell to manifest itself in my body? And it, it's quite a metaphysical approach, but I do believe that the mind and body are so connected that when you have not got an optimal mental or thinking patterns, it can really create conditions that imbalance in the body can occur. So firstly, I I did an objective review of what thought patterns I had been carrying with me. And of course, when I was doing all of this, it's not like I broke it down into like, it wasn't so organized. It's just kind of what I did. And on reflection, I can report back and tell you what I did, but it's not like it was so, uh, such a clear cut sort of process. But you know, in that first week when I couldn't really do much physically, I had the chance to think about these things and and think about what I perhaps in terms of mentally, what thinking patterns have had I been carrying with me that I could let go of and, and create new positive habitual thought patterns. So during my recovery, I I made the decision that I really wanted to speak to myself in a really positive, nurturing and encouraging way. And that was and that was to go for anybody who was really around me in those first couple of weeks of recovery. There weren't many people, it was just whoever was looking after me. And I really made requests for anyone who wasn't encouraging me or speaking to me in that way to kind of refrain from encouraging me from a negative standpoint. So for example, a positive statement might be encouraging words like, well done, you're doing great, keep going, as opposed to a more fear-based or negatively geared statement like, you better eat more otherwise you're going to get worse or you just have to force yourself to eat because you need those calories. And that might work well for some people, but I know I respond really well to positive encouragement rather than forceful statements. So for me, it's the carrot rather than the stick that works best for me. And I made sure that I made that really explicitly clear if, if I felt that anybody was speaking to me in a different way. I just really needed that for myself mentally as well. I also asked myself positive questions every day that, again, were focused on a positive action. So here are some of the questions that I asked myself. You can use them too, whether you're in recovery or not. They're great questions to get you taking action in a positive direction to whatever your goals are. So the questions I asked were, what can I do today that will make my body and health 1% better than yesterday? The next question is, what small wins can I celebrate now? And the third question is, what can I do to make myself happy today? And they were really helpful. Um, They still are because it just makes you focus on your progress. Yes, you kind of have an idea of your outcome that you want to achieve, but it just really keeps you focused on those little things that you can do every day. And the small wins question is really great as well. It's a bit like a gratitude exercise. And for me, you know, those those wins were really small, you know, like literally some of mine were such small things like eating a hundred more calories than yesterday, being able to stand up long enough to shower getting my calories up to the minimum calories that I need for my body, 
you know, being able to do a workout for the first time, coming off all my pain meds, like just little things like that really helped me to feel like I was making progress every day, even as little as it sounds, you know, and it definitely puts you in a positive state. It helps you focus on the progress that you're making. And my motto throughout this whole journey has has really just been just be 1% better than yesterday and focusing on that. So I did drop a little question box on my Instagram story. So I'll answer a few of the questions here on some things that people have asked. Question one is mentally, how has this impacted you? Loneliness, loss of drive, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think for me, the first few weeks, you know, before I was admitted, but then also in hospital, I was really just focused on the next thing and, and pain management because I was in so much pain that all I really wanted at that point was just to be well enough to not be in pain. And so there wasn't really much time to think about anything else. And I think mentally the challenge really started once I got discharged and the doctors had done all they could to get me to, to a point where they were confident my levels were going to go up and, and my sodium was going to rise back to their natural healthy point. But that that first week of recovery, I really had to focus on bringing that digestive system back, my appetite back, physically gaining my strength back. And in those first few days at home, I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't really do much. I didn't have a lot of fuel or energy in my body or strength. And so a lot of that time initially, I held on to keeping that positive approach. So I would say for the first four days of recovery, I was lying down most of the time in pain, but focusing on the mental and emotional patterns. So I was doing a lot of that kind of healing before I could move. So I'll do a lot of meditations, a lot of body meditations, that reflective overview that I was talking about earlier. That was a sort of the first time I had to really mentally and emotionally process what I'd just gone through in hospital. You know, I didn't really feel lonely per se, or I didn't feel a lack of drive even. I think I was just so focused on getting a little bit better every day. And I always had faith in the process of healing and really didn't force myself to do things that my body wasn't ready for because I also knew that would all come in time. But I also think, you know, this whole process has given me a chance to practice all the mental health habits that I talk about in my podcast, in my work. And it's an opportunity for me to put all of that in place. I think it's one thing to talk about shifting your mental patterns and to tell people to do certain things and give advice and tips. But if you can't practice what you preach, then your words become meaningless. So I think, you know, I'm a strong person mentally and emotionally anyways. Don't get me wrong. There were definitely a few times that I really broke down in that first week of recovery. But I also think that that's part of the emotional release as well. And those emotions just had to be processed and come out. It's it's, it's just part of the journey. So I think just it, it, if anything, I think it's just reinforced what I know to be true and it given me an opportunity to practice what I say, what I, you know, talk about in terms of mental health and, and thinking patterns. Question two is when did you start feeling not well to then being properly diagnosed? So I would say the abdominal pains, which is what I originally went to my GP for, what I went into emergency for, they started around the 21st of June. And I was in my GP's office on the 24th. On the 25th was my first 
visit to the emergency department and then I was, you know, I went back again. The next, I got discharged on the 25th, so I was just there for the day and then the next day I was back in emergency because the pain was so excruciating uh, and I stayed overnight on the 26th and then a few days later I was admitted again on the first, on the third visit to emergency. So it, it really took me a week and a half to get into hospital to the point where they would admit me for a, a long time. But then even the full diagnosis didn't really come until the end of my hospital stay, actually, because the two teams that were looking after me, the endocrinology and the general surgery teams, were both dealing with the two conditions separately. But the thing that actually ties them together was COVID, even though I didn't have any COVID symptoms. So my endo doctor explained to me what their diagnosis was and how it was connected to COVID and also this digestive issue. But that really didn't come till sort of the end of my hospital stay, I would say, or like maybe three days before I was released. Question three is, have you figured out what the root cause is of what you've gone through? Well, essentially, I think from a medical perspective, the thing that triggered it all was COVID. But like I said earlier, I do believe that we create conditions in our bodies that make us more prone to creating illness and and a state of being unwell in the body. So yes, COVID, but I probably wasn't also, and not to say that I was not healthy because I feel like I, you know, was living a fairly healthy life, but perhaps there were things that I had overlooked. And especially in terms of nutrition, I very much used to approach nutrition, at least for for the last few years, with a more performance and aesthetic based outcome. So I would fuel my body based on what workouts I would be doing and to maintain a certain physique, but that also then negates the health portion of it. Not to say that I wasn't eating healthy, but I wasn't looking at the minerals that I was consuming, how much fiber I should be eating, you know, coming at it in terms of a health perspective rather than a performance perspective. And so I very much feel like I'm now incorporating that more into my current eating approach. And, you know, I have to because otherwise things will go out of balance again. So, you know, my past routine, I used to do intermittent fasting, which worked really well for me and my lifestyle at that time, 16-8, which is 16 hours of fasted, a fasted window and eight hours as an eating window. I was never in a calorie deficit. I just was at maintenance, which means that I was always eating the necessary calories and energy that my body needed to maintain my weight and performance. But, you know, now my current routine, and I'm, again, I'm still in recovery. As soon as I wake up, I have to eat something because otherwise I don't have the energy to get into the shower. You know, I'm even though I'm I've built up my calories to a point where I'm sort of eating maintenance calories again. I've still got seven kilos, eight kilos of lost energy that I have to make up basically. So I eat breakfast across the few hours of my day and get my workout in. And then I have to eat again after my workout because my body is so hungry for food. And I tend to eat now smaller meals more frequently throughout the day because that's just what my body needs during this period of time. And I'm also a lot more conscious of what foods I need to be eating for my recovery. So, you know, I am eating solids at the moment um, and a lot more, I guess, fruit, which I, it's not that I didn't eat fruit before, but with a different kind of mineral content. And I think, uh, you know, that's probably something that I'll carry through to post-recovery as well. Um, So we'll just see, you know, what my body needs as, as we move forward. 
So that's pretty much been my last six weeks in a nutshell, guys. Uh, It has been an incredibly challenging journey mentally, physically, and emotionally. And, you know, one of the positive things that has come out of this has been being able to spend more time with my dad, who he just recently has semi-retired. So, you know, it kind of was a bit serendipitous that he had the time to, to kind of come over and look after me. So really towards the end of that first week, he's sort of around every day for that first week helping me out. You know, I hadn't cleaned the house in like three weeks. My shower was dirty and, you know, he helped me with my laundry, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I always learn a lot of stuff from spending time with my dad. He has always been a really great explicit teacher of life lessons. I've done a podcast episode on some of the lessons I've learned from my dad. But I did pick up a few extra things during this period of time. So I'm going to share those with you. So this one's from my dad. Uh, I thought this was really profound. And the lesson really is that sometimes life is just not fair, you know, and sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And, you know, these challenging times when we are suffering, it is part of the human condition. It's, it's you know, as, as much as we may have an idealized version of how we think life should be, you know, it's, it's not always like that. And it's just part of being human. So the best we can do is ask ourselves, okay, this has happened. What can I do to make the situation better? So that was, you know, a really great lesson. And I think that's something that I've carried through my whole recovery is, is not to really look back too much unless I'm, you know, doing an objective review, but to not sit in a state of woe is me and, and, oh, you know, I'm such a victim of this, but rather accept, okay, this has happened. Now, what do I do that can positively shift this situation for the better? And even if it is a 1% change one day, you know, it's going to compound eventually, you know. Now, the other lessons that I've learned, uh, and I, you know, these are lessons I continually learn, but I also learned, and and this one, this one especially, I think is, has been pivotal for me, is to accept help and support when I need it. And I recently talked about this on one of my question of the day reels that I posted. And I have been in the past notorious for being very self-reliant. And I have found it very difficult to to ask for help, to accept help when it is offered. And in this particular situation, I really had no way to get out of it but to accept the help because I couldn't do anything on my own. I was in so much pain. I was lying down and I really need pe- needed people to look after me, especially in that first week. So I think it has been a very valuable lesson for me to learn to feel comfortable with accepting help when I really need it. The other lesson that I learned again, and I think this is one that we can constantly learn, is around setting boundaries. I mean, I think I generally am pretty good at this, but there is a balance that I feel like I haven't maybe got quite right. You know, I'm really great at setting boundaries and and that's why I didn't respond to a lot of DMs about my diagnosis because, you know, when people were asking me about it, I was in so much pain. My focus was on my recovery and it was not, you know, to be writing out 50 messages about what my diagnosis was. Um, And of course, I really appreciated everyone's concern and investment in my journey. But at that time, I just had to really set those boundaries for my own recovery. 
Uh, I also really didn't allow any visitors in basically the first two weeks. The only people who really saw me were people who were looking after me, like my parents and uh, a couple of other people who were essentially, you know, very close to me, but there to look after me. You know, it's, it's perhaps a little hard for other people to understand why I couldn't or why I, I didn't have visitors because I know a lot of people wanted to come and see me and, and bring me groceries and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, and perhaps it was also hard for them to understand because I hadn't explained the full diagnosis as well, but I just was not in a state where I could visit with people because, you know, inevitably you'd be talking about the diagnosis and I just wasn't even functioning as a human properly. So I had to be quite strict about those boundaries. But I think the thing that, that, that I struggle with with boundaries is I know how to set them quite well, but sometimes I feel like maybe I can be too harsh with them. So I think, you know, in, in this scenario, in the recovery period, I think that they were founded and, and grounded, uh, you know, boundaries that I needed to set. And I think for me, it's just about finding that balance of, of being able to, you know, allow people in also. Um, and, and softening those when, when it's required. Uh, and, and beyond that, you know, I feel like whenever you go through a, a challenging time in your life, it doesn't have to be a sickness or an illness or anything, but these kind of life philosophy things that kind of swirl around when you go through these times that have come up again, obviously, you know, life is short and you really don't know what will happen. Let go of the small stuff, anything in your past that may be holding you back from moving forward. Make sure that you tell the people who are most important to you how much you love them. And I do believe that everything happens for a reason. So even if it's something that you think is a, a negative situation, use it as an, a, an opportunity to reassess what is truly important to you. You know, listen to your body, your intuition and enjoy the simple things in life. You know, at the end of the day, I feel like that's what it kind of all comes back to. So I don't think there's anything groundbreakingly new in any of those, but I, you know, I've taken this experience as a bit of a, a wake up call, a bit of moment in time to reflect and, and recalibrate. And it's really only onwards and upwards from here. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode guys. And it has given you a bit more of an insight into what has happened with me, but also, you know, you don't have to be going through any health or body challenges like this to implement some of these positive habits into your life. Mentally, emotionally, physically, I think if we can get everything into balance for ourselves, your experience of life will be better 100%. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Tell me what you loved and learned from this episode. Screenshot it, share it to your socials and tag me. Thank you again so much for all your support and love and positive vibes throughout this very challenging time for me. But we'll catch you next time on the Rach Active podcast. 